Welcome to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. Starting a company allows you to be back in control. The weekly show that brings together military spouse and veteran founders who are doing remarkable things in the business world. I can't imagine there's anything out there stronger than the bond that military and veteran entrepreneurs have. We'll hear their story, the story of their business, and lessons learned. Joy can override the worries and depression. Here are your hosts, Carmen Nazario and Josh Carter. Welcome. Uh, I am your host, Josh Carter. Carmen is off this week. I'm excited to be back. I I had to take last week off because I moved into a new house, and it's really exciting and really stressful, and I'm so glad that process is done. Uh, But if you are new to the show, welcome. Uh, Every week, we bring in these remarkable people that are military spouses or veterans, and they come in and they talk about what they've done in their career, their military service, and then their transition into whatever amazing things they're doing in the business world. And this week, I am excited because we have friend of Patriot Bootcamp, Dave Cass. He's a Navy veteran uh, and also created this amazing platform called UVise, which he sold, and we're going to hear all about it in the next hour. Um, so let's bring him in. Dave, welcome to the show. Hey, Josh. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. No, I am so excited. When I saw your name on the list, I was just thrilled to be talking to you because you and I know each other from Patriot Bootcamp, and uh, you've been a friend of the organization for a long time. So, So I'm just absolutely thrilled to bring you on. I like that title, friend of Patriot Bootcamp. Yeah. That I am. I can. We'll get ba- we'll get business cards for you and everything. Sounds good. <laughs> so, uh, you know, my listeners obviously don't know who you are. Uh, you, you're you're new to the show, uh, so we mm-hmm. want to go through and really start talking about and get to know Dave Cass. So, I want to hear about what prompted you to join the Navy and and your thought process around going into the military. Yeah, I, I, um, I like how you phrase that question. I think the decision going into the military was the first part of that. It was a sequence of decisions, like I think a lot of people that joined the military, which is, do I think I want to join the military? If so, which branch? Then I get to a branch, what do I want to do in that branch? And that sequence was similar to me. Um, I think in high school, like, like a lot of veterans, is when it sort of the seeds sort of entered my head. Um, my grandfather was in the Navy, but I didn't grow up around the military at all. Uh, so I think it was a bit of a calling in a bit. I was definitely drawn towards the the mission of the, mil- the military. Um, and to be honest, I was also drawn towards adventure and, do- and doing something adventurous as well. Um, so I think it was the mission, the adventure, and the service element that made me think uh, I wanted to go into the military. Uh, and then I sort of channeled it down to the Navy. Um, I was really drawn towards the the, the maritime tradition of the Navy. Um, I knew I'd have an ocean view, which which I wanted um, <laughs> in the Navy. And uh, I also didn't know what I wanted to do. And the Navy is definitely a, a branch that has just a lot of different communities. And I knew I could sort of find my way. Yeah. Um, so it was it was the Navy for me. Nice. And no, talk, no regrets on that decision either. Hey, you know, I'm a Navy guy. Uh, I'm So I'm always thrilled when we get Navy folks on the show. So I agree. I, there's so many things that are unique to the Navy experience that you don't get with the Air Force or the Marines or the Army uh, or the Coast Guard, for that matter. Like, it's very unique in that you, you travel the world, you see a lot of amazing things, uh, and your backdrop is just this haze gray underway piece of thing that you just have to live on for eight to nine or whatever months that you're on. So I totally get it. Yep, it was a, it was a it was a good good choice for me. I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't change it. Have you held the respect? For all the other branches, but it was the right branch for me. And and when you got into the to the Navy, what was it that you wanted to do versus what you ended up getting into? 
I did not know um, uh, what I wanted to do. So I was an aviator. Um, I flew H-60s um, in the Navy, but I wasn't a kid that grew up watching Top Gun or anything like that. I mean, I watched that movie. I don't like it, but I watched it. <laughs> I think if you're an uh, aviator, it's part of the thing. You have, you're just going to have to watch it, whether you like it or not. Yeah, I, just, I wasn't one of those kids that knew <laughs> I wanted to be in a- aviation. But when I looked at the Navy, I saw I saw ships and submarines and um, special operations and aviation and all these. And I just I sort of knew that I would find the right community there because honestly, I wish I could have like four different military careers and do a little of everything. But we kind of get we kind of get locked into these designations at some point. Um, going through the ROTC program, I went to Tulane and did ROTC. You get the chance to do summer training. Um, in, in various different communities. And that's kind of where I, I found um, aviation was a great fit for me. Uh, and it was a, as much as I love the, the, the skill set that goes with aviation, it was the, the community and camaraderie that felt like a fit for me. Um, that's a hard one to articulate, but it's one of those things where you, where you just sort of uh, know once you spend a little, a little time there. Yeah, I think what's interesting about any military service that you go through is that you're, you're building this camaraderie based on the fact that you're all going through something remarkable together, whether that's the boot camp or whether that's a deployment that you go through. Like, you build these bonds uh, that last a lifetime because you all go through something pretty extraordinary. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I think the bond comes back when you get out. Um, I think within the military, a bond is very sometimes a very uh, – community focused on what squadron I'm in, what unit I'm in, who's right next to me, the same uniform. And, and we, we kind of developed these bonds around community. Uh, but then when you get out, it's sort of the veteran bond. It doesn't, it, it almost doesn't matter as much what branch or what you did officer enlisted. It's just a veteran bond. Um, yeah. So I, I, I agree with you. Yeah, no, it's, it's great. Uh, so talk a little bit about where you were stationed, some of the missions that you went through. I, I, I really want to hear more about your Navy experience. Like, What was sort of the, the biggest challenge you faced while you were in the military? Yeah, well, my, my, my um, Navy pathway, I served about 10 years um, on active duty. I'm still, um, I'm still in the reserves right now. Um, and my pathway in the Navy was like a lot of like a lot of people's pathways, something, a, a theme that I love about the military is you learn how to do something, you do something, then you teach somebody how to do that something. And that mm-hmm. was the path I followed. So I, I did training for a couple of years in Pensacola, flight training. Uh, I went up to San Diego and trained specifically on my aircraft. And then I went and did a active duty squadron um, that was there in San Diego and Coronado. And I did two deployments out of that. Um, so the the deployments were mixed. They were Operation Enduring Freedom, Operation Iraqi Freedom. Uh, that was about a four-year tour. And after that, I got um, I became a landlocked sailor. I got I, I transitioned to becoming a teacher, and I came to the University of Colorado and taught in the ROTC program, um, ran the aviation program, that sort of thing, and found my current home in Boulder, Colorado. And um, I finished my active duty station there, working with sort of the next generation of officers. And it was a, a great way to finish my, um, my active duty time. And, and why Boulder? What was, uh, what was the thing that attracted, by the way, I love Boulder. I'm there at least once a quarter. We do our board meetings out there. So I, I have a huge, big heart for that area. But what drew you to, to the Boulder area? Yeah. Well, well, first of all, next time you're in Boulder, make sure um, we, we get a chance to grab a Absolutely. beer or something, Absolutely. Or, or something together. Uh, so I had never been to, I had never been to Boulder uh, before. Uh, I was looking at at the end of my my 
my um, operational tour, what I wanted to do next. I loved the idea of teaching in some way. And for me, it was going to be teaching flight school or uh, teaching ROTC or maybe Naval Academy and, and the higher ed the higher ed um, format. So I called my detail and said, you know, I'm really interested in teaching what schools are available. Uh, and he told me a few, and I actually went around calling schools. And it was the University of Colorado that that um, looked like it was going to align with my timing. And I thought, wow, I, I had actually applied to CU Boulder in high school and, and yeah. um, di- didn't come, made a different decision. But I thought, wow, what a what a great place to be for my teaching, at least from what I heard. And uh, it turns out I was right. So the first time I visited Boulder was actually when I moved here. I'd never been previously. <laughs> nice. So you had no network, no friends, no family, just this new yeah, city. Yeah. And hopefully it was going to work out. That hopefully it was hopefully it was going to work out. You know, we take we take a lot of risk when we we put that uniform on, and one of it is, hey, where am I going to be next? Um, you know, and it's funny ten years down the road, and no matter how long you stay in, a lot of us live the decision of an eighteen year old, and um, I was no different. So, yeah, definitely. Um, you you take risk, you take career risk, uh, but it was it was a great decision for me, not only not only in finding my home in Boulder, but I also fell in love with teaching and education. Nice. Um, and that was a good springboard for what I was doing next. And so let's talk about that. You, what were you doing after you, you finished up your time there? So I went to, I went to business school while I was, while I was, t- was still on active duty. Um, sort of doing night and afternoon class, um, doing night and afternoon classes and honestly not knowing what I wanted to do next. Um, but while I was here in Boulder and in business school, I started to connect with some really just great people and, and mentors, uh, and a lot of them were connected to the TechStars network in, in some way, just, just due to, it's a small town, Boulder. <laughs> it really um, is. But just, just met people through the network. Um, and it took me a little while, but I kind of admitted to a few different mentors in particular that I was a little nervous about leaving the Navy and what am I going to do next? I'm starting fresh. Uh, you know, all, all the typical concerns of, of, of transitioning um, I had. It was such a technology-centric environment i kind of had this fashion fascinate fascination with how technology is going to impact the world in a variety of ways um in a particular education so i uh i got a job at sun microsystems in oracle for my first job out of the navy just um i was really focused on learning technology uh and that was sort of my parlay uh in into technology from leaving active duty and education um that whole experience had a whole bunch of different positives and negatives which we can go into or not, but that's a that's a nice place to land, right? That's a, you know a lot of people get out of the military, uh, myself included, and I, I really struggled to figure out what I was going to do next. So I ended up you know working at like a carpet store or climbing poles, pulling phone wire. Like we all had that struggle, but you landed in some place that seemed to be a good fit for you after the military. It's it's true, but you know just that that sentiment of wow, that's a great place to, to land is what I struggled with. Um, it was very competitive to get a job at, um, sun. Sure. Everything was, everything on paper was great. It was great hours, great pay. Um, you got into Dora to, at a company that a lot of people are trying to get into Dora. And yet, to be honest, I was kind of miserable. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, that's, that's one of the things, right? Like you don't know what you don't know until you get in there. And, and, uh, so I, I totally empathize with that. Yeah. I just, um, everyone was telling me how great it was and I couldn't, I really couldn't figure out why. I wasn't happy with it because I was tired at the end of my mm-hmm. active duty. Um, uh, I loved my time in the Navy. I should say the whole reason I got out of active duty was 
uh, I knew I was becoming a uh, father and I, I didn't want to move around. And I knew that was a top priority. And my, my daughter was on the way. And um, I had this job that on paper I should have been totally happy with, but I really missed the camaraderie, the mission, the flying. I didn't know if I should try to go back in on active duty and just, uh, I was learning a lot, but it wasn't a, it wasn't a great fit for me. What was your role when you got there? Oh, I had some title that probably doesn't mean anything, something along the lines of like program director, strategy manager in charge of, um, something. Um, but really what I was doing, <laughs> you know, like, manager of uh, something, <laughs> yeah, you know, manager of some of something. Um, uh, but I was I was essentially uh, doing analysis and writing strategy for different geographies uh, of the world. Okay. Uh, so it it was in hindsight it was good learning and there were some really wonderful people, but uh, I really really missed the Navy during that transition. Sure. So we've been talking to Dave Cass, military veteran, amazing entrepreneur. We're going to get into UVI's and all that stuff. But Dave, can I, can I, uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break. Is that cool? That's cool with me. Awesome. So this time we're going to talk about CPA dudes where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay them. They don't charge for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the damn job done. Find them at cpadudes.com forward slash startup radio. You can tell them Carmen and Josh sent you. Uh, we are talking to Dave Cass. Founder, CEO of UVise, this incredible platform that we're getting towards. Uh, but we were just talking about, you know, getting back into the job market after you left the military. Uh, so you went to Sun Microsystems. What's the next phase of that? Did you? Is that where we start this UVise thing, or are you still in the job market? Very, um, very, very close. So um, Oracle acquired Sun while I was there, um, and I had an opportunity to. Uh, stay and find a new career or take a severance. I took the severance. Um, it, it, it was kind of like a little bit of runway. Yeah. Uh, at, at the time I, I knew that, uh, I wanted to do something entrepreneurial. I was, I was spending my free time, uh, doing education related things. I was writing, a, um, I was writing a book. I was going to school, um, to learn about, uh, learning. And I took the opportunity to actually go back to university of Colorado full time as a uh, staff member and a teacher. Nice. Um, and it was during that time I knew that, Hey, I would be, um, so I, I think if you're starting, if you, if you want to do a startup within a particular industry or vertical, the best thing you can do is join that <laughs> industry or vertical. Yeah. Um, and I knew I wanted to start a business in education. So I thought the best thing I could do, cause I didn't have the ability just to quit, quit my job is I will work in education continue to learn, um, continue to earn and work on my startup as a side hustle. That's awesome. So it also put me in a great position to meet my, my co-founder, um, David Parker as well, who was just instrumental to, um, everything from starting, starting you guys to, um, where it landed and where it's still going. Yeah. So let's ta start talking about that. So you have this side pro project, you guys, what was the mm -hmm. thinking around it? What problem were you trying to solve here? So I was um, the problem I was trying to solve was the um, the struggle that college students were having succeeding in college college academics. Um, it started as an observation on just traditional traditional college students. Um, the attrition rate for higher edu for higher education in our country is, is atrocious. Um, I think where it stands right now is about fifty percent of students that start higher education don't finish it for traditional students. Um, so it really 
bothered one of the jobs I had in RHC is I was a freshman advisor and um, seeing really intelligent people struggle with college kind of made me realize that uh, this isn't about natural intelligence and natural aptitude that going through college and learning is, is more of a skill than it is a God-given born talent. Um, and I would look at my students and say, like, wow, some of them have the skill and some of them don't. Um, if I zoomed out a little bit, then I found out that um, veterans were having even more trouble graduating from college than traditional students. And there are some different rates. I don't quote rates anymore because there, there's a lack of trust in certain studies. But sure. uh, it really started to bother me that uh, not only that our students not succeeding, but veterans in particular are not succeeding. Um, that was that was the kind of the awakening that, wow, this really, it's, it's uh, it made me kind of angry, to, to be honest. And uh, I actually think anger is a good place to start. <laughs> if you're just starting a business, like, like I, mean, I forget what they say in Stroh about, you know, embrace your hate. Like, if you hate something and you think you can solve that problem, uh, embrace your hate. It's the only you know, place hatred is really good. I will tell you, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I had a really good conversation with Jeff Lawson, who's the CEO of Twilio. And he started Twilio because he got so angry that, uh, you know, they were trying to buy a phone system and the stupid thing couldn't do what he was wanting it to do. So he created this entire language where you could just program a phone. So I totally get where you're coming from. And a lot of companies are like that, right? Like Uber, same thing. People were frustrated. They couldn't just uh, hail a cab quickly. They had to stand on the side of a curb and put their hand up. And it was just such a you know archaic process. So anger can be a great leverage to starting something really incredible. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, I'm in general life, I'm anti-hatred of all kinds. Um, but when it's internal, you can fuel that into something. Oh, and if it's channeled in the right way, it's productive. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so it started as general student success, and then um, it, became, it became more focused on veteran student success. So why do you think that is? Why do you think veterans are less likely to get through the process of graduating college? So I, um, that was, those are the questions that, that sort of led me on this, this path. Um, and the initial, I, I did not go out and start a technology company. Um, initially I actually went out and, um, I did the, probably the, the longest running MVP that anyone's ever done. I, <laughs> I, I went back to school. Um, and I said, and I, I went back and I took classes at a CU and at, at a community college nearby and just interviewed students with a particular interest in veterans, um, uh, interviewing students about what they were doing that was working and what they were doing that's not working. And I wrote a book on, on the subject. Um, uh, and I thought, hey, if that'll be that'll be sort of a, uh, a standalone product, I can give it away, I can sell it away. Um, but I went back to kind of find out the answer to that question. The the answer is that a, my my hypothesis, my opinion, it's sort of um, what I call street research because it's not it's not purely sound research. But I went back and took class and I interviewed people and listened to what they said, and then I then I channeled out. Um, one reason that I think veterans um, struggle is that the learning environment is just completely different than the learning environment that they were in. Um, that was one of my main learning in the military is very different than learning in college for a variety of reasons and the reasons are not that super complicated um and then it hit me that wow veterans are jumping from whatever branch of service they were in and going straight to college and they're not even getting an intel brief which is something we would never do in the military <laughs> we we would oh, never man. put someone in a helicopter and say fly it without teaching them how to fly it first yeah. 
so my first conclusion was, why don't we teach them about the environment they're going to learn in? Because it's very different than the military and their last academic experience was high school, right. which could have been seven years ago. So I looked at it as like, wow, people are, it's kind of like jumping in to play a football game because you've played a basketball game seven years prior. Um, <laughs> it's a, a different set of rules. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, there's, there's a definitely. Lot. So that, that was one, um, one observation. The other observation I had is that, uh, veterans, uh, we're not, we're not wearing a uniform anymore when we step on a college campus. So you can feel very, um, you can feel very isolated in that environment when you're, let's say, a 28 year old freshman and you're surrounded by um, 18 year olds that have a different that have a different worldview from you, a um, different experience set. Now, I think veterans can learn from that 18 year old too, but uh, I think you jumped into that environment and it felt like a solo pursuit. That it feels so uncomfortable that you're at a high risk during that first year. Yeah. Um, so those are those are a couple of the main reasons. Um, and and there's more that that I that I think about and write about, but those are the two main reasons that I thought. Yeah, I, and I think you're onto something because, like like you said, you know, I was enlisted. I was an enlisted person in the Navy, and I was just a simple deck guy, right? So in, in that context, you know, you're just basically given you know whatever it is you need to do your job and told to go do it. There's no real. Uh, mm-hmm. thought process around how to teach somebody how to chip paint, right? Whereas right. yours is a much complicated field and there's a class and study and all these other things to fly a multi-billion dollar aircraft with a bunch of missiles on it. So there's this, you know, big spectrum in the military of, of you know, I want to say experiences around training. And, and so how do you, how do you fit that in to somebody that's trans- transitioning out and going into sort of what everybody's going to be experiencing, which is this college experience. Yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It seemed crazy to me that um, even though I thought back, I was a fairly mediocre college student, to be, on, <laughs> to be honest, too, is that uh, the veterans I interviewed were figuring it out as they go. Mm-hmm. Now, imagine if we did that in the military. Imagine if there wasn't boot camp, if there wasn't flight school, if there wasn't A school, if there wasn't all these learning evolutions before you actually did your job. So I thought, wow, couldn't that same that same framework go prior to college is is teach the students how to be students before they actually become a student? Because mm-hmm. um, again, I know if you put me in a helicopter and said fly it, I would have crashed miserably. <laughs> but when you when you taught it to me incrementally, um, anyone could learn how to do it. Yeah. No, definitely. Uh, cool. So you are l- figuring out this this problem. What was the process that you went through to really build out this platform? Um, so the, the the technology platform is what you're referring to. Right, Uvice. Yeah, so it's again, it started with the, uh, the longest-running MVP because it took me a year to do the research and write the book. Um, but one of my um, hypotheses in the book was that uh, a student that doesn't go through college alone is more likely to be successful. And a student that has mentors... Um, working with him or her is more likely to be successful. And, and that was just a key sort of finding of the book. And that really that really lent itself to be a technology platform. Um, with a technology platform, like a lot of the different ones that are out in the world, um, there's a power of connecting people and reaching people before they're physically in an environment. So the two things we could do with a technology platform is one is um, the hypothesis was we could reach veterans before they get to college and give them a level of orientation before they ever arrive. And that's going to tilt the odds 
towards towards success. So think about an online an online orientation to college, um, not just an orientation to your specific college, but how the learning environment is going to look. It's an intel brief for for college. Um, the second hypothesis was that mentors are going to impact you positively, and some of the most powerful mentors in the world are peer mentors. So if uh, you are a, a Navy veteran and you're studying engineering, mechanical engineering, a very powerful mentor for you is going to be that sophomore or junior that's just a couple steps ahead of you. Again, I'm just stealing ideas from the military. We don't. I always say that admirals and generals don't mentor privates, um, an airman, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Often it's the person that's one rank ahead of you that is your most impactful right. mentor. I know, I know it was for me as an O one. It was my, it was my chief or it was my Lieutenant that, that really mentored me. So I, a technology platform, I, our belief was could make those connections very, very fast. Um, and the second hypothesis is that veterans, um, and spouses too, always say yes when another veteran asks for help. Mm-hmm. Not always, but it's pretty, it, it's pretty close. Um, you know, even as a teacher now, uh, if a veteran calls me, I take that call. And I also see it on the other end. If I need help with something, I call another veteran. They always say yes. So my belief on a big, busy college environment that it's hard to get a yes from other students to help you, but it's much easier when you have that pre-existing bond of being a veteran. Um, veterans help veterans. And it's this powerful thing on campus. But we don't. We didn't have a roof around it. We uh, veterans aren't under the same roof every day. They've got families. They've got jobs. They're in different schools. We're not in uniform. Sometimes you can walk through camps and be like, "Hey, you kind of have a buzz cut still, and you're a little older <laughs> than the rest. Maybe you're a veteran." Um, but largely, veterans weren't necessarily going to the veterans center every day. And a typical state school, large campus like CU, has seven eight hundred veterans on campus, and a lot of them didn't know who each other were. Wait, CU has seven? How many? I think I saw 700 at one point in the undergrad. Oh, so it's, you know, out of a, you know, out of a school that has, let's say, 20,000 undergrad, you're going to have hundreds of veterans. But that's that's remarkable, and and just, I'm I'm just baffled by it because of the fact that uh, you know here in the Pacific Northwest, that's probably mm-hmm. the, that number is probably not as high. So it's interesting to, to to me, at least personally, to figure out that to hear that there's such a, a large contingency. Uh, but I guess it's not that unfamiliar. I mean, the Air Force Academy is up there, and there's a few installations. So, but I, I still find that number uh, really really awesome. I mean, I think that's a great stat. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, and there's there's a, just really great stats about you know veterans being in college. Uh, the GI Bill is awesome; it pays for college, but it is not a mechanism to succeed when you get there. Right, and I was going to get your opinion on that. I know it's sort of a tangent, but because you're in this this sort of education space, you probably have a a really unique perspective about this. You know, the the post nine eleven GI Bill is sort of going through this reimagining. Uh, in mm-hmm. which they're not only allowing veterans to utilize it for their educational stuff. Um, in fact, a lot of the GI Bill can be used for code schools now, which is remarkable, even if it's a mm-hmm. non-accredited school. Great. Operation Code has been a, a great lobbyist for that. But the other thing they're starting to do now is allow um, veterans to utilize some of their GI Bill, if not all. They have a pilot program to start businesses instead of going to college. And I'm really curious about your thought around that. So I, I think expansion in scope of the GI Bill is progress. Um, I, so I, I'm a traditional educator in some ways. I teach in a classroom at CU to this day. Um, but I also believe that education comes, and this is what's so great about modern day, comes in a lot of different 
shapes and sizes and there's online education, there's apprenticeship models, there's code schools. Higher education, traditional college is not for everybody. Mm-hmm. It's, not a, it's not a fit for everybody um, depending on what you want to do for your career. And career is a very central thing to why a veteran goes back to school. Um, a veteran is not going back to school to, let's say, become an officer. They're going right. back to school to start a new career for the most part. So career is very central to the, to the student veteran. Um, but what the GI Bill doesn't address is if you go to college, there's an opportunity cost of two or three years of not making money and mm-hmm. not earning to support your family. And that's a, that's a tremendous challenge. I know there's a stipend that comes with it. Yep. Um, but that's a pretty tall order to ask, let's say, a, a E4 or E5 to go a few years without earning a salary. Um, so there's all these other different models of education. Um, and uh, so I view expanding the scope of GI Bill to be a very important model. Now, we need to make sure that they are they are honest players in the industry and the efficacy uh, of the program needs to be there. But um, I quote my friend uh, uh, David Blake, who founded a company called uh, Degreed, who I'm really fond of. Um, and he says that the, the quote is, people care what you know, they don't care where you learned it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really important. So if you learn it in a higher education campus, great. Um, but it's not the only learning pathway. So uh, I'm a believer that education is becoming unbundled a little bit. You can you can gather those pieces from different areas. I mean, what if a veteran is learning on the job in an apprenticeship model while taking an online course from MIT and doing a night course at CU Boulder? Like, why isn't that a valid learning pathway? And I, and I think it's becoming more so. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. And I, I think my, my not really problem with it, my concern with this, and we'll get back to uh, talking about you guys, because I'm really curious. Um, but my, my concern is that when you give somebody who's an E4, E5, that's just coming out of the military, you give them $40,000 to go start whatever it is their business. And to mm-hmm. your point, you haven't given them the intel brief of how to run that business. The chances and the likelihood of that business failing increases incrementally, right? Or, or probably exponentially. Right, right. So I, I think that's my concern with expanding it to the point where you're allowing entrepreneurship to be so accessible via something they mm-hmm. worked so hard to earn. Uh, so that's just my concern. And, and I don't know, maybe that, that's something you, you've thought of as well. Yeah. And that, that was part of your question um, that I didn't answer. I'm glad you um, brought it up. I think one of the whole points of, um, of education is to decrease, decrease the odds of failure. Sure. Um, and I use, I use flight school as a metaphor. You learn how to do something in a classroom, you learn theory, then you learn how to do it in a flight simulator because the consequences of crashing are really, really low in a flight simulator. You're not going to kill anyone. It doesn't cost much money. Sure. And then when you've developed some skill set, then you go flying. Doing school and then sim- and then a simulated environment decreases your odds of failure in an aircraft where failure is dire in an aircraft. I think that's what education does for career as well. So while I like the idea that you can put money towards a business, if that veteran has not had um, any level of uh, education or simulation on business, do they have an unreasonably high probability of failure? I would say yes. Mm-hmm. So I would, if I can make a, a change, and I'm not that familiar with that program, um, If we, I like the idea of putting capital in veterans' hands for businesses. I would love to package it with a level of mentorship and education oh, to agree. decrease the odds of crashing. Yeah, no, I agree. I think there's ways that the SBA uh, could bundle more help with the with the veterans rather than allowing the veterans, you know, because I, I think, in my opinion, this is just sort of like 
the VA and the SBA haven't figured out how to create a program for entrepreneurship. So this is a way for them to just sort of passively give money and inject funds into the, the, the veterans instead of doing something that's more educational based or investing in more time to give these folks a better chance for success. That's just, again, I'm one, one data yeah. point, right? But uh, you and I have both seen a number of businesses come through programs like Patriot Bootcamp, like Bunker Labs, you know, all, all IVMF, EBV, all these other programs. And uh, and the the chance of success is even better when they've gone through some, some sort of program uh, prior to just jumping in with both feet and someone handing them a $40,000 check. Well, uh, to me, that's the exact problem Patriot Bootcamp is addressing uh, is that veterans are drawn. A lot of veterans are drawn towards entrepreneurship. Um, jumping in, you have an increased odds of failure, but even that three day education program leads to a network that builds year over year. Um, I believe Patriot Bootcamp is decreasing the odds of failure. So thanks to people like you and Taylor and Charlotte and Jared Polis Foundation and Tech Stories for running that program. It was instrumental in my life and now I I get to be a, a mentor and teacher in it as well. Yeah. And so that's the problem that, that I believe Taylor was addressing when he founded it. I, I agree with that. So let's talk let's go back to you guys because I we Sure. I, I love that you and I have this this opinion about the GI Bill because I'm so passionate about it. Yeah, uh, we can talk about we can talk about it off the podcast. Seriously. I could go on about this subject all Yeah, day. yeah. We'll have a beer when I when I'm out there in uh, September. So uh so let's yeah. talk about you guys. So you guys yeah. uh MVP, lengthy MVP. What was the <laughs> what was the sort of like okay, let's get it out, let's launch it. What what was that uh, experience like? Um so D- David Parker, my uh, co-founder, was really instrumental uh, in this. Uh, again, it was the, it was the longest MVP. Um, Eric Reese would frown at what I did, um, <laughs> but the book sold. Um, in fact, I gave away as much as I, I sold. It was being used at hundreds of schools around the country as sort of a as sort of a orientation textbook. And the and the um, title of this book, because you keep bringing it up, but you haven't said the title yet. Yeah, I don't want to sound like a salesman. No, no, no. <laughs> so you're, yeah, this, is, this is the Dave Cash show for for yeah, one. But I'll one, say it's, it's this. It's the strategic student veteran, um, and I, I say this, any veteran that um, uh, is heading to college and um, can't find a book or doesn't want to buy it and wants a copy, I will give more. Nice. Um, so the, the, the book, to, uh, so really what, for the most part, I would sell uh, books, you know, 100 books to a college that has an incoming class, and they would give them to veterans. That was kind of the model. Nice. But it was very validating that there was a need. There was a problem being, being addressed. Um, the mentorship I talked to talked about earlier was why I wanted it to be a tech platform. Um, uh, but I needed a, I needed a co-founder that has had a different set of skills. Um, and I met David Parker at CU Boulder. Now Parker's just a, uh, he's an amazing person in, in a lot of ways, but, um, Parker enlisted in the air force. He was a programmer. Um, he achieved a undergraduate degree while on active duty and used his GI Bill to get not one but two master's degrees. So he was, he was, uh, you know, I was a, I was just a, a ROTC scholarship straight out of high school. But Parker was the example of a success story through the military, um, and he's an Air Force veteran and a computer programmer. And I didn't know how to build a platform or code, um, so we just we started um, meeting in we started meeting in my office on campus. I guess I can say this now. I was working on my startup while, <laughs> while in my office as a staff member at CU. They can't fire me now. Well, actually, I do still work there in some capacity. But, um, 
Parker and I. I'm sure. I'm we, sure they'll be okay with it. Yeah. With with you writing a book. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, Parker and I would meet on campus, and we would talk about student success and and channeling to veterans, and and we would kick around ideas on how. Um, yeah, that's really great. I wrote a book, but a book is a book is static. It's one size sure. fits all. It's it's it doesn't. Um, you know, it doesn't reach people on a, on, a, on a personal level the way people reach people. So we 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 really started with the idea that wow, a technology platform can reach students before they arrive at college, and then they have mentors ready to go when they get there. Nice. Uh, and we just started sketching stuff um, on my whiteboard in my office at CU. Uh, that was the first year Patriot Bootcamp was starting. Um, in a, a mentor. In a, Techstars Network, um, who to this day is a really good friend of mine, said, hey, why don't you apply to Patriot Bootcamp? I said, well, what is Patriot Bootcamp? And they told me about it. I said, wow, what what great timing. And um, Parker, who was still finishing up his NBA, and I was still working full-time at CU, we went to Patriot Bootcamp with with our ideas. And we um, it was game-changing for me, largely because I met other veterans that were wanted to start start businesses and i didn't know other people like us were out there um and so just you know i just met great people um frederick hudson was in that class who, who started uh, pigeon lee um uh this is the first time i met taylor who's a good friend to this day and and charlotte was in that class and uh it was a three-day program but took some friendships out of there that that are existing to this day uh greg coleman was in that class um who's who's went on to do techstar chicago yeah yeah it's you know what i tell people uh you know the three-day program is very similar to if you've gone through boot camp like i went through techstar chicago as well and same mm-hmm. thing like you, it's three it's 12 weeks of just intense learning and that's what we try to bring for the three days so i'm glad you had that experience because uh i had the same thing when i walked through the door the first time in madison wisconsin so uh it's awesome to hear people have the same reaction yeah that's right the madison was one of the the the, the one program i missed I, i've been to most of them most of them um since but uh you can't learn everything in three days you can't even learn that much in three right. days but you can you can sort of learn what you need to learn and then take away those email addresses and phone numbers and build relationships with people who will continue to help you after Patriot Bootcamp. But the deal is you got to turn around and help the people behind you or it yeah. doesn't work. Oh, I agree. I agree. So you guys, you've launched it. Yep. How many, how many users the first month? So we, we went to, uh, so between Patriot Bootcamp, we were working on it as a side house and we were applying to Techstars. Mm-hmm. Techstars started an education program in New York and we knew we wanted to apply to that. We got into Techstars pre-revenue, pre-users. We had a sort of an MVP kind of working um, and nothing was live. Um, nothing was live in a school. Our users were people that were using the textbook, um, colleges that, that believed in the philosophy. We, and our, our hypothesis was if they believe in the philosophy, then, then we can, we can, um, we can parlay that into a technology project. So to answer your question, zero users. Oh, nice. <laughs> That's awesome. So what was the, so we, you get into Techstars, what was mm-hmm. that experience like for you? Because I think some of our listeners obviously are building a business and maybe an accelerator or something they're interested in. I would love to hear your thoughts. I know what my experience was like, but I would love to hear you know, your thoughts around mm-hmm. what your experience was like. 
Uh, I can't say enough good things about Techstars and the program. It was, uh, you know, game, game changing, life changing for me. Um, but people say, should I apply to Techstars or an accelerator? I always say it depends. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it depends on the stage of company you're in. Uh, we went as a two person team. Um, at the stage we were just at, I almost wish we went one year later and had a little more progress be- before we went. Um, I think seed stage is really a good time to go. I think if you are raising money, um, if you desire to, to raise money, um, and that's a goal of yours, accelerators can be really instrumental. So for me, getting in Techstars bought a tiny bit of runway because it did come with capital. Um, Parker and I didn't pay ourselves a salary for for a long time but it gave us a a smaller amount of money to get to the next stage so i thought well i'll quit my job i'll go to techstars with the goal of raising a seed round at the end of techstars um and it was almost like i, I just continuously had like a two three month runway before i had to get a, a real person job so techstars gave parker and i the ability to um well he was just finishing grad school but that's when i quit my job and, and said i'm going to do this full time um and it was a great experience for me, not only just to Techstars mentorship and raising money and learning. Um, well, I learned more about startups in that 90 days than I than I did during my MBA program. No offense to my <laughs> to my alma mater, it's just a different kind, yeah, kind of learning. And I think there's some parallels between, and I've said this at uh, on, on other talk shows, but um, there's this parallel that exists between going through something like Techstars and going through something like bootcamp, right? There's they're mm-hmm. they're breaking you down to build you up the way that you're supposed to operate. Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, uh, I went straight officer, so I didn't go through bootcamp, but I, but I'm. I, I get the comparison um, completely to everything. Mm-hmm. I also think there's another added benefit. And, you know, you look back on your time in the military, and sometimes I, I, I look back with rose-colored glasses, but it was really the the kind of the tough times and, and the horrible times where the best friendships and the best bonds came out of. Techstars is not unlike that. You're there all day long. It can be kind of miserable at times. But then all of a sudden it's it's over and you have these really great relationships. Right. Um, I think great relationships are built are built stronger during rough times, and Techstars is supposed to be rough. It, it's that way by design. Boot camp is not supposed to be like summer camp. Right. It's supposed to be like boot camp. Wait, yours wasn't um, summer camp. Mine, mine was summer camp. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like my my flight instructors were not always nice to me when I was, you know, <laughs> um, and the best mentors um, that I experienced in Techstars are the ones that were tough on tough on us. Right. They pushed us. Um, yeah. So yeah, the the metaphor is uh is definitely is definitely parallels for sure. Nice. We've been talking to Dave Cass, uh, author, founder of Uvise. We're gonna take another quick commercial. Is that cool? You're asking me. I think it's cool. Okay. Thanks, buddy. So today's episode of the Veteran Startup Podcast is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed PR subscription service, which generates effective visibility for your business. Publicize has broken down PR into modular setup, keeping quality high, and simply charging fees for targeted PR you require. Check them out at publicize.co and tell them Carmen and Josh sent you. Uh, we've been talking to David Cass, uh, author. You can find his book. In fact, I'm looking at the screen right now. You can find his book on 
Amazon called the Strategic Student. Veteran, there's even a Veterans Edition, which I love, by the way. Successfully transitioning yep. from military to college academics, and it's highly rated, by the way. Um, you've been talking about UVI's, and I want to. You you talked about your transition through TechStars. Talk about after uh, after TechStars. Like, what what were mm-hmm. some of the challenges you faced with, uh, and then also just sort of leading into when you got acquired. Sure. Yeah. So. Um after Techstars, we we raised a seed round that that essentially bought us uh, around a year of runway. Uh, we also finished Techstars with our first clients as well, and uh, uh, a awesome, very progressive university, John Carroll University in Cleveland, had just some really forward-thinking leaders that signed um, that signed up. So so we left Techstars with some funding and a few customers, nice. uh, a few cl- a few clients. Um, and the road after that for the next eight, 18 months or so, or, or so were uh, fulfilling in many ways. Um, we added co-founders uh, to the team. Um, good friend Bo Bergstrom joined the team, who's a Marine Corps veteran. Um, and uh, James, I was our lead lead software engineer. So, was a, so we had this four-person team um, and added a few contractors and things like that. So walking out of Techstars, I felt like a... Uh, had the, the the network and some funding to buy some time uh and it was great it was exciting in a lot of ways it was also it, uh, it was also a time of a lot of failure as well um uh in terms of a higher ed pro- product on the veteran side i was very proud of the the impact that we were having with veterans uh, but we were struggling as a business and we said as a get-go as a for-profit technology company we are not going to charge veterans for anything we're going to charge the college mm-hmm. that was our model um and we weren't a very expensive project long story short if we we were just selling the veterans product alone we probably would have failed um as a bit we were failing as a bit as a business on the business side of things in terms of making money and, and growing the way we wanted to um, so it was a time of failure. Uh, it was also a time of success because the product was getting better. It was impacting people. Just the business model wasn't working. Um, during that time, we had a sort of pivot outside of veterans. We expanded. Uh, we expanded to being a community mentorship education platform in higher ed in general. Um, and that was just that was due to watching bank accounts get low. And a, and a college said to us. Um, I'll never forget the conversation. Hey, Dave, uh, why is this platform just for veterans? And it, it sort of struck <laughs> me that, wow, the, con- the content was very focused towards veterans, but the sure. idea of tapping into mentorship and camaraderie isn't exclusive to veterans. Right. Um, and this school in New York wanted to use it for students beyond just veterans. And it was, uh, I was the most reluctant pivoter, um, if that's a word, uh, as the founder of the company, I wanted to support student veterans, and that's and that's it. And it really took great co-founders pushing me the other way, saying, if we want to survive and help veterans, then we need to sell beyond yeah. veterans. We actually, we actually had a sign on the door that said, earn enough on this product so that we can one day just give it away to <laughs> veterans. Um, veterans departments and college, colleges do not have big budgets. And we would have died. We would have died as a business just selling to colleges. Do you think you um, still would have had the challenges if you would have pivoted earlier, or do you think that challenge was going to happen regardless? I think it was inevitable. Um, I think you know, as the C, um, 
as the CEO of Uvise at the time, I think I made the decision too late to pivot out. Um, I resisted it. Yeah. Um, I didn't. I didn't read what the the market was telling me because I just I just believe this product can change the life of student veterans. Um, so I was I was reluctant to do it, but we were looking at a sales cycle for veterans for a small amount of money. Um, and then a college said, well, can we do this for the whole college? And it was tremendously higher of a sale in the same amount of time. So I, I, I would say we pivoted because we desired to, we pivoted because we had to. Sure. That makes sense. So besides that, what, what led you to seeking out being acquired? Uh, answer is kind of, kind of similar. Uh, the acquisition was not something I um, necessarily desired at the time. Um, it was the best road forward at the time. And um, so you guys and Adam is sort of a story of failure and success. Um, you guys in the, as the higher ed product, even though we expanded outside student veterans at this price point, just selling to higher ed, it was such a long sales cycle with such tight budgets, if we just did higher ed, we probably would have failed. Um, probably would have failed as a company. And I still think there's a great home for you guys in higher ed, and it's still being used at many schools. But if we just stayed in higher ed, we would have died. Um, so at the same time, you know, when you start a tech company, you sort of get these inbound requests that, hey, I saw this platform, and why can't I use it for this or that? And you have yeah. to sort of take a step back and say you can or you can't. Um, Long story short, Uvise, the platform, had this home in the mental health field that we never foresaw. I'd love to say it was my vision, but it was, it was not. Um, this company, Sondermine, was starting this network of mental health professionals, family counselors, marriage counselors, uh, mental health professionals worldwide that were essentially seeking the platform we made at Uvise. And they saw it and said, can we use it? Um, can we use it as a product for our mental health prof professionals? And they're using it in a way that wasn't exactly like Uvise, but with a couple of tweaks, it was the perfect product for them. So long story short, Uvise, the platform w is successful in the mental health field and less successful in the higher ed field. Interesting. Um, we were at a stage where we really weren't, we really weren't at a point where we could, let's say hire a venture capital round, a series a scaling round. Um, so that really wasn't an option. I didn't view dying as an option. So an acquisition that added that added capital, um, engineers, et cetera, was was an, and they kept Uvise as a standalone product as well. Was the reason we did the acquisition. So again, uh, I I don't think the acquisition was my well. I know the acquisition wasn't a, my first choice at the time. Sure. And it's it is a story of failure as much as it is as much as it is success, maybe more failure. And who, um, and who approached who about the acquisition? Was it that you sought out this target or is, was this company that targeted you guys? No, we, we didn't seek, seek it out at all. Um, uh, the CEO of the CEO of, um, of Sondermine, uh, you may know, mm -hmm. uh, Mark, Mark Frank is a mentor in Patriot Bootcamp. Yep. And so he, so he had seen the platform and he was starting, uh, Son of mine, I forget what year he start he started it, but he the, the relationship essentially when we first met was first of all uh, he was he's an army he's an army veteran so he's a trusted resource. Um, 
he saw the platform and approached us more as a client than he did as an acquirer. Hmm. Um, now we had at the time we had an acquisition offer from a, a much larger education company. Um, they had written us an LOI and they, uh, came down to the ninth inning and they, they didn't, they didn't follow through, didn't have the capital or, or whatever for the acquisition. Um, Mark, the CEO of Sound of Mine knew we were going through that and approached us on, hey, what if we acquired it? We could keep you guys as a standalone product. It's really making a big impact in this mental health field and has a future here. Um, so it was kind of like putting you guys up for adoption. Uh, <laughs> it, it was it was a better home yeah. under Sound of Mine. You know, I'd rather I would rather have you guys be acquired and live a good life than sure. um, die on the road we were on. So it was, uh, I'm happy about the acquisition, but it was because we had to, not because we wanted to. So we only have a few minutes left. This, this, these hours always fly by when I have somebody that I love uh, on the on the show. Uh, yeah, but, it does. Uh, it feels like we go on for a while. <laughs> seriously. Uh, but I, I really want to leave our audience with sort of that one learning that you took away from this experience that you wish you had known at the beginning of this journey. Hmm. The Uvise experience or the experience on this podcast? <laughs> Let's start with Uvise, and then you can bag on me later. <laughs> um, um, you know, there's so there's so many lessons in um, in, in startups. I think uh, I think this comes from the military as much as it does is does Uvise. Uh, I don't think there are any solo victories in startup. Where I think it's all a I think it's all a a team sport. Uh, so I think I think the the greatest thing you can do is if you want to be an entrepreneur and founder is is to surround yourself with really great people. Um, you guys never would have been built without Parker um, and James. Uh, you guys never would have reached the people that it could without sort of the tenacity of Bo. Um, so I, I look at myself that I was the CEO and founder, but on any given one area, um, the CEO is kind of the weakest person on the team. Um, so bringing in people that are better than you at those one things, the only thing I think CEO should really be best at in a tech startup is raising money and pitching. Mm -hmm. Other than that, Bo was better at operations. Parker was better at product. Um, everyone was better than me at everything. Um, and, <laughs> and, um, and I'm really, glad, I'm really glad it, it, it was that way. Um, and they were just great people, um, too. So if you can bond with people over the mission and values, and then they have a core set stronger than you, I think, uh, that's the biggest lesson I took from you guys and, you know, maybe the military um, as well. I love it. I love it. We've been talking to David Cass, uh, author. You can find his book, The Strategic Student Veterans Edition, Successfully Transitioning from Military to College Academics. And uh, you can go find you uh, guys. Uh, David, where, where can people find you guys and yourself as well? Yeah. Um, so I can I can be uh, – should I give like an email address? Is that what – Sure, if you'd like. Um, so there's lots of different, um, lots of different ways you can jump. I guess I still use the Uvise one quite frequently. You can reach me at Dave at Uvise, U-V-I-Z-E. Um, Uvise, the mentorship education product, can, can be found at uvise.com. And Sondermine is the acquiring company that is using um, using the Uvise platform to impact the, the mental health field in a variety of amazing ways. Just an awesome company. They have physical locations for counselors and, and patients. Um, and I still track how they're using Uvise in ways that, um, again, I would love to say it was my vision, but um, Uvise found a home in the mental health field that I, that I didn't envision, but I'm glad it's impacting people in a positive way. I love it. 
Dave, thanks so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Um, see you next time you're in Boulder, Josh, and I guess I'll see you at Patriot Boot Camp. Absolutely. Next month. Cool. So you've been listening to Startup Radio Network, the network that brings inspiration and education to startups and entrepreneurs around the globe. Tune in again next week and every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Listen, learn, and get shit done. See you guys next week. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.